maybe two weeks, but we're getting very close. After Romans, we're going to go into Esther and Ruth, if you want to be looking forward, which I know y'all eagerly do. You're always looking forward to what's next each and every week. I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> Romans 15, verses 22 through 33. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be service of them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Letters, written, handwritten letters, have become somewhat of a lost art in our day. I remember growing up, uh, I would often send and receive letters. I remember having pen pals. I remember being taught in school how you write a letter, the greetings, the salutations, the closings, and, and so on and so forth. But the notion of writing a letter has gone out of fad with the coming of the intranet, right, and the World Wide Web's and all that Gmail and Yahoo and Hotmail. For we can just kind of send off letters quickly now, right? Information is at our fingertips. Oftentimes we don't even take the time to use that wondrous invention, the telephone. Uh, we just send a quick email, send a quick text. We don't really send letters anymore. But we come to Romans here, and Romans at the heart is a letter written by Paul to actual people in Rome, and he's getting to this point in his letter where he's starting to do some of the typical uh, Greek letter things. He's going to talk about what he's doing. Where do I want to go? He's going to talk about his desire to come to them. He's going to tell them his plans for the future. He's going to, next week we'll see that he's going to send greetings to, just look at verse 16 for a second. He's like, hey, say hello to this person and say hello to that person. And hey, say hi to them for me and give them my best. It's, it's, it's like we're saying, you know, you write a letter to your uncle and it says, hey, tell Aunt Susie hi. And tell the cousins. I hope they're doing okay. It's kind of this add-on at the end of the letter, but it's a part of the letter that he makes up. And we could be tempted at this point to go, Okay, Paul's done with the good stuff. We've hit the good stuff. Oh, yeah, Romans 5, that's good stuff. Romans 8 and 9, all this good theology, but he's just winding down now. Like a pastor, when he gets to the end conclusion, we start thinking about lunch, right? 
We're already checking out because we know it's about done and we can be tempted here uh, by Paul to do the same thing. Okay, the letter's over. Don't, let's not pay too much attention to what he's saying here now. Uh, but we have to remember, nothing is in Scripture by accident. Even the list of the tribes of Israel in Numbers is there for a reason. And I challenge you to stay awake while reading Numbers. It's there. It's there for a reason. It's been placed there by God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's good for us to take a look at what Paul is doing and saying here. Paul is expressing his continued desire to visit Rome. He's sorry he couldn't come sooner, but Paul's been real busy. He's been busy telling people all over the known world at the time about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of this, he was not able to come sooner. He must first travel to Jerusalem. Now, we could stop here for a moment. And if nothing else, if we got nothing else out of this text, Paul here is verifying for us and vice versa a lot of what happens in Acts. You can go to Acts and see the parallels here where Paul has gone through his missionary journey. How Paul did indeed return to Rome or to to Jerusalem for the collections that he's given. We're getting some very good proof text here of the history, how it's historically true. But Paul is also doing something else here. He's reemphasizing his purpose in writing to the Romans. He needs help from the Romans. Because really, in a sense, it's not about coming to Rome. It's about going to Spain. And he says, I hope to come to you, and I hope that I can be refreshed, but I also hope that you can help me go to Spain. Paul is on his proverbial support-raising mission tour right now, right? We have missionaries, and they come to us, and they say, let me tell you about the work I'm going to do in. Uh, we just had the, the Kriegers, 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 and they're going to Romania. They came, and they told us about Romania and the work they're going to be doing. And in essence, that's what Paul's doing here. Hey, let me tell you about this work I got going on in Spain or that I want to have going on in Spain. And, and maybe if you like what you hear, you can, you know, give me some money so that I can go to Spain and bring the gospel to this place that's never been heard. That's his, one of his purposes in writing to Rome. And he's going to, we, we'll see here and look at, he's going to ask for prayer requests from them. This is a common thing that he does in his letters. Be praying for me. A little true for our missionary today too. Hey, pray for me as we're doing this. He's going to talk about this collection he's made for, for Jerusalem. He says, pray for my safety. Pray that Jerusalem would receive this collection well. So as we come to our text today, I want us to see three things. I want us to see first a desire to go. Second, we're going to see a desire to give. And third and finally, a desire to pray. A desire to go, a desire to give, and a desire to pray. Paul begins, this is the reason. It could also be translated as therefore. He has just been telling us about how he's gone all over from Jerusalem to Elycrium, all over this area. He says, because of this, because of my missionary journeys, because I've been so moved, busy moving all over the Mediterranean, I have been hindered from coming to you. But now, 
that but now is basically saying, but the situation has changed. I'm no longer doing that. Since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and I have since longed for many years to come, I hope to now come to you as I'm passing on to Spain. Paul's been prevented up to this point, but now he's, he's free to come. He'll come see them on his way to Spain. And it really is only in Paul's lifetime that Spain had begun to really take, be solidified. This was a course done by the Romans. So much of, of what the known world was at this time was because of Rome. And Rome came in, they conquered the area we know as Spain, and they put them under kind of a central rule. Uh, solidified the area. Now Paul hopes to go to Spain. Uh, we cannot say exactly why Spain is his next target. We know for certain we know that Spain had never heard the gospel. And that last week, we, or last time we met, or I preached, I should say, we saw that, that was important to Paul. I want to go where the gospel's never been preached. Uh, we can be sure it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit that is drawing him uh, to Spain. But Paul, as he's going to Spain, hopes to come. And as he says, enjoy their company for a while. I would like to enjoy your company for a time. He de desires fellowship with them among the believers. This would be an encouragement to him, something that would build him up. He does hint that it's going to be a short stay. This word for a while actually could also be translated as a short time. It's only going to be an in-passing visit. I'm stopping off with you as I'm going on. I need to spread the gospel. I must not cease. But what we see here in Paul's itinerary, in, in essence, is what we can say this. He says, hey, this is what I've been doing. This is what I hope to do. Uh, this is what I have to do first. We see here Paul on the move. Paul is going. Over and over again, Paul is going. He has a desire to go. He's looking for that next place that he gets to go on his mission. I've said this before about Paul, but if you don't, you don't do it now, but if go to the back of your Bible, find the map section that says Paul's missionary journeys. Paul was always on the go. Think and think about Paul. It's not that Paul hopped in his car or in, hey, I got the, the jet out back, our little puddle jumper that we're gonna go from one place to the next. That's not what it was like. Paul was hoofing it. He had his sandals, he had his boats at times and other things, but it took him a while. And if you look at the ground he covered, he was all over the place. He was going. His desire, the, his heart desire, was to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. To go is an active verb. And to go is at the heart of what Jesus has commanded us to do. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, if we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, what must we first do? Go. We have to have a desire to go. We have to foster this desire, and it doesn't look like going to Spain necessarily, although that could be nice. I wouldn't mind going to Spain at some point in my life. Uh, it doesn't uh, look like going to some far reaches of the earth. It doesn't look like going to South America always necessarily. It doesn't look like going to Romania. We have been given a place where we are to go to. 
You often hear this expression uh, used, I gotta go, I got places to go, people to see, right? And it's a, an expression we like to use when we're, in a, we're hurried, we're busy, but it's true. You have places to go and you have people to see because God has placed you where you are and he has placed people around you. He has placed you in different occupations which take you to different locations, all of which contain people that you need to be going to. Do you view your occupation as a ministry? Do you go to work each day and say, who does God have for me here today to go to and bring the good news, the comforting news of the gospel to? Do you go to the store, to the grocery store, with the eye of going in the name of Christ? Do you go to eat at a restaurant and say, I'm going now to where God has me to be and bring the good news of the, of the gospel to them? Or are you just going about your life from drifting from one place to the next? God has given you places to go. He's given you people to see. You must go. The wonderful part about the church, and Paul is hinting at this here, he wants to go to Rome because in Rome he hopes to find comfort and fellowship. That's what this is right now, right? This is comfort and fellowship. This is where we come and we're built up together. This is where we come and after this time, we'll have this time where we're in the hallway and we're talking and we're supposed to be, this is what I'm going through today or this is what has been happening to me. And we're to find that comfort, but then we're to go, go out to those who need the gospel. And it cannot be passive. I can't sit here and go, all right, I'm going to go. It's not sitting down. It's, it's active. It's going out. You can't just sit down. We have to have a desire to go. It doesn't always look like a committee. I know that was a bad Presbyterian sentence. Not only do we have to have a desire to go, we have to have a desire to give. There is one last obligation preventing Paul from going to Rome. He has to first go to Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, he's collected all these monies from, uh, what does he say here, Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia, however you say that. And he says, I have to give the money that I've collected on my missionary journeys to those in Rome. This is the collection for the saints. This is the means by which these Gentile Christians are going to express their love and care for those in Jerusalem, those who are less well off. That the regions in which Paul has spoken here will find these churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth. These are all churches that we've heard of, right? Uh, all but Berea we know of from because there's letters written to them. Letters to Corinthians, Thessalonians, Philippians. We know of Berea from Acts. Paul came to the Bereans and the Bereans... Question, not question, but they went back and said, hey, was what Paul's saying match up with scripture? All these have collected money and they've given them to Paul. 
And Paul has exhorted these to give. But they were also pleased to do it. They did not give out of compulsion. They gave of their own free will. They were ready to share what they had. Paul makes it clear that they were not forced. Verse 27, they were pleased to do it. They were indebted. But he goes on and he says, not only were they pleased to do it, but they also owed it to them. And indeed, they owed it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing. They ought to be the service to them in material blessings. Yes, they gave without forcing, without compulsion. But Paul's saying, You've received, they have received much from Jerusalem. For from Jerusalem comes the gospel, comes Jesus. From Jerusalem comes the promise of Jesus. In essence, he says, you Gentiles share in the spiritual things of, of Jerusalem. And now you should help them in their material needs. Gentile Christians are to acknowledge and give thanks for what they have shared with. And these collections have a purpose. It's to help. To provide for those who do not have, who are in need. Paul is encouraging a spirit of giving. We need to have a spiritual a spirit of giving. He's collected these monies so that those who are less well off can have. And Paul is anxious about how these gifts will be received. Verse 28, when therefore I have completed this and delivered them to what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by the way of you. I know that when I come to you, you'll be a blessing to me. But he goes on in, in, in verse 30, he asks for prayers. He's saying, I, I pray that, pray that these will be received well in Jerusalem. There's a worry here that they won't be received well in Jerusalem. Paul has a kind of a tenuous relationship with Jerusalem. Some there are okay with him. Others are hostile towards him, uh, not without reason. Paul, who was Saul, the killer of the early Christian church. But Paul has to go to Jerusalem first. He has to give what has been collected there. And he, and he says, hey, look, I'm going to come back. He, he, re, he restates his main point. I have a desire to come to see you, but I have to go here first. I have to bring these gifts. He says, I, I, where is it? He says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them. Hmm. Anyway, I don't know what I was looking at. Paul has to bring these gifts as a seal and as a blessing. There's certain translations, probably another translation I was looking at that calls these gifts uh, uh, the first fruits. He has to seal these first fruits of the of these gifts and he's bringing them and he and he the gift the fruits of the blessing himself but paul needs to validate to jerusalem the gifts that he's bringing and he wants these to be a blessing to them so we are called to give and this giving for us will take many shapes and many forms 
We just recently gave, some of us gave money, correct? And we do that from week to week. We give of our money. But we also are called to give time. We're called to give of our talents and gifts. And we're to give freely. We've just said that we have a, we're to have a desire to go, but as we go, we are to be giving. We're to be caring for those who are less off. We're to be providing for those needs. And there's still a sense here, even as Paul says, you give because you owe them. And it's not that we give because we owe, but we have to acknowledge that there is an owing. We are to imitate in all that we do Christ our Savior. Christ is our ultimate model for what it looks like to give. What does Christ give us? Everything. Christ did not hold one ounce back from us. And in fact, if he held anything back, none of it would matter. He is our model Forgiving. He is our model for all things. Uh, this last week I was looking at Ephesians 5 again, that passage on wives submit to your husbands. And I was reading that part where it said, And husbands, love your wife. Your model for how you are to love your wife is to love your wife how Christ loved the church. It's a convicting sentence there. And we are called in the same way to give the way Christ has given to us. Do we give with a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of gladness? Look, we know, even as we look at the Ephesians text, we know we cannot accurately model the love of Christ. No husband can love his wife as Christ loved the church. And we are never going to be able to give like Christ has given to the church. But there is a sense here in which we understand not that we give out of obligation or compulsion, but that there is an owing. We are called to give. It's an act of service to God. Giving has to become a lifestyle for us. Where it's not something we have to, oh, so, okay, the church is, oh, oh there's another disaster. Oh, we just had the flooding in Florida, and now there's this thing in Matthew with Hurricane Matthew, and maybe, I don't know, there's, I think there's another hurricane brewing out there, and where's it going to hit? And Oh, goodness, oh, I just, last week I helped that guy on the side of the road, and I don't have time for this guy on the side of the road today, and oh, well, there's that person in need in there, but I don't have, oh, this church member got sick last week, and I made them a meal, and now someone else is sick this week, someone else can make them a meal, and I, I Giving has to become a lifestyle, not something that we're questioning whether we can, can or cannot do it, but it's how do I get to serve those who I've been called to go to today? As we go, we have to have a desire to give. And then finally, we have to have a desire to pray. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Christ Jesus and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers. 
to God on my behalf. I love the way this is worded. Strive together with me in your prayers. This word strive here uh, can also be translated as a wrestling. It's an active strive with me. Have you ever run a race or have had some sort of physical goal and you're getting to the end and you have to strive to that ending? It's a working, it's a, it's kind of this internal struggle of a feeling of strive with me. Strive with me in, in your prayers. Have your prayers ever felt like a striving, a wrestling, of coming before God and saying, God, in essence, he's saying, lift me up. He said, God, be with Paul, be with him as he goes to Jerusalem. Oh, would you would you keep him from all harm? It's not just a Okay, someone's asked me to pray. I better not be with Paul. Okay, amen. It's more than that. It's an activity in it of like identifying with someone else in their struggles and in their hardships. And it's a striving. He says, I appeal to you. This appeal word is it's an urging. I urge you by the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit. Strive together with me in your prayers. It, again, it's an active thing. It's not an impassing thing. It's not a <sighs> Southern Christianity, I'll pray for you. How many times have you looked in someone's eye and said, I'll pray for you and never prayed for them? Not once. Because saying I pray for you is a polite thing to say. I know I've done it. I know you've done it. And it becomes a dishonest thing. I'll pray for you. It's, it's the same as saying, I'll oh, bless your heart. It's, it's empty and it's fruitless. Paul says, no, strive. Calvin puts it this way. Paul shows how the godly ought to pray for their brethren, that they are to assume their person as though they were placed in the same difficulties. We are to identify with them in their difficulties and we're to pray for them with the same heart that they would even pray for themselves. So you can imagine those who are hurting or going through struggles were to go before God in the same manner that they would even go to God themselves. And, and the things Paul asked for pray, prayer for are real things. He said, pray that I'm delivered from the unbelievers in Judea that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul's worried about some things. He's worried that as he goes to Jerusalem, he's not going to be received real well. He's worried as he goes that as he's not being received well, there's going to be those in Jerusalem who are like, hey, don't take money from Paul. Paul's a terrible person. You can't take money from him. And he hopes that he'll be able to get out of Jerusalem unscathed and be able to get to Rome. Now, the funny thing is that we see in Acts that God did answer his prayers. Do you know how God got Paul from Jerusalem to Rome? The Roman, Senate, or the Roman soldiers arrested Paul to keep him safe from those Judeans who wanted to kill him. And 
They took him to Rome because Paul said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Now, I imagine oftentimes when we ask for prayer, we don't hope that the outcome is that we're arrested and spend two years in prison, which is in essence what happened to Paul. He was in Rome for two years in prison. But he did get a measure of joy when he went to Rome. He got to see the saints in Rome and he got to be with them. We also know from Acts that the gift was received well. That those who were in needy in Jerusalem received the gifts gladly. So we're to be people of prayer who are coming and praying earnestly, who are coming and striving with one another, but also those who do not presume upon the God who answers those prayers. Say, God, this is what I want you, this is what I'm praying for, and this is how I want you to answer those prayers. We are to be content no matter how he answers those prayers. He finishes by saying, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He addresses this God who gives peace, this peace that is a new relationship with God, a peace that they are to have with one another. It is because we have this God of peace who has restored us that we are even able to pray. So when we go out, when we're going out into the world, when we're giving, we are to be praying. We must always be in prayer. And we must know that as we pray, we don't always get the outcome that we desire. But God, in his own way, provides for us. Is prayer central to your life? If someone sat down with you for a week, would they say that is a person who is marked by prayer? If they sat down with you for several days, would they say that is a person marked by prayer? If someone went for went just to spend a day in your life, would they say, oh, that's a person who's marked by prayer? We cannot do anything in our own strength. We cannot. And I think that we have this tendency in the church when things are going well, to give ourselves credit. And when things are not going well, we tend to give God the credit for that. God is sovereign, except when I've got my life going on track. We have to be a people who understand that God is sovereign over all things. And we come before him in prayer that is a striving before him. And we are not only to be that way with ourselves, but that is to be the mark of our prayer life for one another. How can you strive with me? And how can I strive with you in prayer? I tell you, I cannot strive with you in prayer, and you cannot strive with me in prayer, and you cannot strive with one another in prayer unless you know what to be praying for. And there's a sense here where we are really good about coming in prayer 
when it is, hey, I'm just going to use my wife for example. Hey, I've hurt my foot. Would you pray for me? Hey, I've got cancer. Would you pray for me? We're not very good when it comes to, hey, I'm struggling with my salvation this week. Because I don't, I don't believe that I'm really worthy to come into the presence of God. And that is weighing down on me like a heavy burden. Could you pray for me? Can you strive through with me as I pray for those things? Hey, I'm, I don't like my job. And I go to every work day, I go to work and I'm unhappy. Could you pray with me? We can't pray and strive with one another if we don't know one another. And it's just not about me and you and, and, and me as your pastor and you as a congregation. It is that, but it's you and one another. We are to be striving with one another. We have to be praying for and with one another. And we have to be in relationship with one another so we know how to pray. And we cannot make it that southern hospitable idle thing. Several weeks ago, I was down at this gas station here down the road, and one of the girls in there had, had heard through, I ran into um, uh, Tammy, who's been coming to church, she's in here today, and she said, oh, this is my, I go down to the church, and this is the pastor, He's, you should go check out the church. But I came in a, a week later, and this girl was like, could you pray for me today? I'm just having a real hard day. And I got in my car and I was like, I need, I'm going to pray for her. I, I was like, I almost just left the parking lot. And I said, no, I need to stop here right now before I leave and pray for her. Because if I don't, I'm never going to do it. And we have to take that time out of our day to stop. And if we say we're going to pray for something, and that is my one good example I can give you. I could give you a thousand other bad examples. We ha- I'm not trying to, to dote on myself here. What I'm saying is we have to make these times where we stop. And if we say we're going to pray, we're going to pray. We must be active in it. And we do it because we know we do not have a deaf, idle, incompetent, impotent God. We have a God who is powerful, who hears us. He is the God of all creation. The fact that you breathe in air and exhale air is his guiding, sustaining hand. And if he wanted it all gone, it'd be gone. That's the power of the God that you're praying to. He could, he spoke all things to being and he could speak all things out of being if that was his desire. And he says, come to me, the God with this kind of power and ask me what, and and pray with me and talk to me and tell me your needs. Tell me what you're hurting over. For almost the last four years with a few exceptions, We've been reading through the Psalms on Sunday mornings. Why do we read through the Psalms? The Psalms are our prayer book. You want to know how to pray? It's not just, thank you that so-and-so is doing better, and thank you that you did this. It's, God, I come into your presence, and I am overwhelmed with who you are. I look at the world, and I see its wickedness, and I don't know what to do. It teaches us how to articulate our feelings. 
We have to be a people who are in prayer, praying with expectation, not that we'll get whatever we want, but we pray with confidence knowing that God is looking out for us, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, not for the good in the sense that we tend to think about it. Because good for me would be, hey, I don't need my house note and I could use some new cars without payments on those cars. And we tend to think about good in material sense, but that's not how God thinks about good. But we pray knowing that he is not idle and we pray with confidence and with expectation. If we learn anything from Paul today, we learn that Paul is active. He is going, he is giving, he is praying. And we are to be the same. We are to be active in our Christian life. We are to have a mind that is focused on our mission to go into all world, make disciples of all nations, to go to those around us with the good news of the gospel, telling them about the hope that is within us. And we, as we go, are to have an active desire to give, to give all of ourselves, to give sacrificially, to give without reservation or hesitation, to give joyfully. And we are to be coming actively before God in prayer, faithfully relying on him for all things, coming into relationship with him, resting and trusting in his provision for us. Yes, Paul is giving us his, hey, here's what I'm doing, here's where I'm going. But in Paul, we see this wonderful example of what it means to be active as a Christian. We are to learn from his example. It's my prayer for each of us that we be looking for ways that we are going, that we are giving, and that we are praying. So let us come before our God now in prayer and ask for these very things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you. And Lord, we ask that you would Enable us through the working of your spirit to be active in our faith. Provide for us a mission that we can be going to. Provide for us eyes to see that mission. Lord, would you give us eyes and ears to look for ways in which we can be giving, joyfully giving. And would you be drawing us to yourself through prayer. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.